Praise the Lord. Welcome back to Bible Time. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bless us today, bless this meeting. Lord God, I pray that you'd bless your word and that you would minister to the hearts of all those that hear it, both online and here with us today. Help us to be conformed into your image, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Help us, Lord God, to be um, to the work, Father, to get involved, to be part of your work, Father, and help us to have effective work, effective ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Here he says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. So here's the answer to the big question of whether or not the Thessalonican church would survive. Paul had been through great... Um, great difficulties in his spirit because they had had to leave the church at Thessalonica so quickly after only three Sabbath days of reasoning together. And the young man, Timotheus, was sent from Athens somewhere roughly 300 miles south of Thessalonica. (coughs) And he was sent north to find and see if there was any church left, if their labor was in vain, which is what we studied yesterday, to see if by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Would there be a church there? Would there be people meeting? Would there be any effect of their ministry? The fact that the Apostle Paul even cared about whether or not his effect, his ministry was effective should tell you something. I talked to a man once who... Um, had a ineffective ministry. He had a very um, well-reported of ministry, but whenever he came to the area that I was in and conducted evangelistic work that I was helping with, uh, um, his ministry was in vain. His ministry was all a waste of time. They gathered a bunch of people together, a bunch of young people, and they um, had a vacation Bible school. At the end of that time, they had some less than 100 youths, just right out 100 youths were there, and the youths were preached to, a young man preached to them about having courage, about being like David and Goliath, and I think there were some references to the three Hebrew children and um, some stuff like that, and at the end of it, he said, he got up, and they had heard nothing about the gospel, nothing about Christ. The young people that were gathered were heathens by and large. They had a grab bag theology. They had been to every kind of church from Pentecostal to Mormon to Jehovah's Witness to Apostolic to Baptist. Every kind of doctrine had been preached to them. They'd been told that you can be baptized to be saved. They'd been told that you have to become a Mormon to be saved and be part of the lost tribes of Israel or whatever. They'd been told that um, there is no hell. They'd been told that there is a hell. They'd been told they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been told that Jesus is the Son of God, but not God. They'd been told that Jesus died for their sins and was buried and rose again the third day. They'd been told that you can be sinlessly perfect and you need to have hands laid on you and speak in tongues to be saved or to be sinlessly perfect and every manner of doctrine, true and false and mixed and unmixed and everything had been told them. And here at this event, they were asked, um, they were preached to about dare to be a Daniel type of message as if they were all Christians. And then at the conclusion of the message, this man leading that evangelistic outreach stood up and he said, who here wants to go to hell? And all those children sat there with glum faces and their hands down in their laps. Of course, they didn't want to go to hell. He'd already been saying, who likes candy? I like candy. You like candy. We all like candy candy. Who wants candy? And they'd all yell and shout and raise their hands for candy. And he'd throw candy to them and they were all whipped up and happy up and and they were doing whatever he asked them to do. He had them eating out of the palm of his hand. And at the end of that, he says, who wants to go to hell? And they say, and nobody says, no, I don't want to go to hell. He says, who wants to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. All their hands raised up across the whole room, beaming, smiling faces, um, bouncing in their seats. I want to go to heaven. He says, if you want to go to heaven, then just come back here here and um, meet with these, um, our young people are going to help lead you to Christ. Come back here and we'll lead you to Christ. And about 75, about three out of every four in the room went to the back 
I went back there to help and I had a little gathering. I looked across a sea of little faces. I looked across a sea of beautiful eyes of young people that wanted to go to heaven. And across that sea, I saw in those 75 young people, I saw about six or seven youths who were ill-trained, though they wanted to help these young people. They did not have the equipment, this furnishings that Paul talks about in the book of Timothy. They did not have the furnishings to help these youths and you had about 10. There were 75 young people in that room and about six or seven youths and then myself to assist these people. I sat down with my seven that had gathered in front of me. They happened to be seven little girls about the ages of seven to 11 or maybe 12. And I looked at them and I said, all right. I said, I understand you all want to go to heaven. And they all nodded their heads vigorously. And I said, that's wonderful. I want you to go to heaven too. How many of you here are sinners? And they all stared at me blankly. I said, how many of you know what sin is? And they all stared at me blankly. And I said, if um, one of them raised their hands and there were many others in the room. So I said, those of you that don't know what sin is yet, we'd love to talk to you more about the gospel. Go ahead and head back up to the front of the church and and if you have more questions we'll talk to you later. I turned to the one that said that she knew what sin was. I asked her what sin was. She had some vague understanding. I asked her if she was a sinner and she said, well, not really. I'm not really that bad. I said, well, thank you for coming back. Go on up to the front. We'll talk to you more later. And I turned to see who else I could help. And to my shock and dismay, found that all 75 had already left. And then in that amount of time, there was not even one young person left in that room except the couple of my children that had attended me back to the back. I went up to the front to hear the man leading the evangelistic event, um, thanking God for over 60 souls that had just been saved. The man left and went home, and I proceeded to try and follow up with these 60 saved people. As I tried to follow up with them, I found that in every case that I could even find, if I could even find them, if they would even talk to me, if they even want to have, wanted to have a conversation about the Lord, that none of them had any comprehension of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of who the Savior was, of what eternity really meant of how to be saved, I found that every one of them had been told to bow their heads and to repeat this prayer. And they prayed something like this, Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven. Something to that effect, which they all prayed, all of them wanting to be saved. Now that might, those words are not bad words, but those words in and of themselves will not save save you. And that man went back to his city church that he was from, assuring everyone that they had seen almost 70 children come to Christ. The the information went out in newsletters. I saw some copies of the newsletters. People forwarded it on. The praises to God, the hallelujahs and the hosannas rang high from people who named the name of Christ. Later, I went down and visited that city church and found that preacher. And I said to him, I said, brother, I'd like to talk to you. I'd, I'd talked to, actually, I can't remember if this was right before they left or later down in the city. But in any case, whichever one it was, I talked to him. I said, brother, I said, I I addressed some of these concerns that I had. I said, these children don't understand the gospel. And he cut me off and he began to instruct me and to teach me how to soul win. And he told me that all you need to do is get people to pray this prayer. All you need to do is to lead them in the sinner's prayer. And whether they understand it or not, God will save them. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I began to... um, rebut that as gently as I could. I tried to rebut that. He took it that I had poor, this poor preacher, this backwoods poor preacher has never had a good Bible college education. He's never had a good understanding of the gospel. So he felt that he must take it upon himself to rebuke me and to put me in my place, which I did not resist. And he said to me, look, we don't keep the Lamb's book of life. You need to stop worrying about that and just do your job. And then he left. 
And that was the end of my discussion with him, the end of my friendship with him, the end of my fellowship with him. I still love him. I still pray for him. I still thank God that through him, in some way, sometimes the gospel does get preached. And I thank God every time the gospel does get preached, but the man's ministry was monkey business. And I'm not afraid to say that. And if I got the chance to say it to his face, I would lovingly look him in the eye, having more experience now than I did then and tell him, brother, I love you in the Lord, but this isn't ministry. This is monkey business. I tell him something to that effect. Now, we're looking today here about the evidence of effective ministry, how to judge the effectiveness of evangelism, how to judge the effectiveness of your ministry, how to judge effectiveness effectively. Now, this could also be how to measure results, how to tell if you have had impact. So the title today is Evidence of Effective Ministry. Now there are those that say, like this man, that you cannot, that we don't keep the Lamb's Book of Life. That is a quote from a great evangelist named D.L. Moody, by the way. D.L. Moody apparently is the one that coined that phrase, and it has caught in certain circles and run like wildfire as a justification and an excuse to ignore all biblical evidence for salvation and to, and then guess what they do? They flip that and use it to change the measurement scheme. So instead of measuring your ministry according to biblical paradigms, according to biblical um Uh, It's probably the wrong word, paradigms, but according to biblical measurements, according to biblical standards, instead of measuring according to biblical standards, what I'm going to do now is instead, since I don't keep the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm going to make this a nickels and noses ministry. I'm going to see how many hands I can get raised. I'm going to see how many people get on the bus to come to church. I'm going to see how many people show up at my Sunday school meeting. I'm going to see how many commitments cards are signed and turned in at the end of the day, and I'm going to measure my success by nickels and by noses. Is there money coming into the church account? Are there people sitting in the pews? If so, I must have an effective ministry. I want to tell you today that that is monkey business. That is absolute monkey business. Jesus Christ had a ministry that by the end of three and a half years numbered 12 disciples and a handful of harlots and demoniacs who followed him around having been delivered from their sins but despised and hated by everyone around them and they would wash one of them in particular washed his feet with her hair and wept upon his feet while the scribes and Pharisees and the established religious elite sat and frowned upon the whole issue. By the time Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas he was only accompanied by his 12 disciples by his 11 disciples his 12th being Judas and And the 12 forsook him. One betrayed him. 11 fled from him. Peter, the one that he called Cephas, a stone, the one that he said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter, the great preacher of Pentecost. Peter, the um, apostle of the church at Jerusalem. Peter, the great preacher, um, denied him three times to little girls that had accused him of being one of the number whenever he was standing and warming himself by the enemy fire as Jesus was on trial Paul would say to Timothy at my first hearing all men forsook me but Peter Christ um, but not only that Christ could say of Peter and all the disciples all of them forsook me and they left me alone no man stood with me I stood alone and in fact that's what Jesus Christ said in prophecy my own arm brought salvation to myself. He says, my own arm will do it. He says, no man was with me when I brought salvation. And Jesus Christ was alone. Jesus Christ was penniless. Jesus Christ was buildingless. Jesus Christ was organizationless. Jesus Christ had no organizational posterity to pass on. Jesus Christ had no... Um, 
buildings and grounds and buses and vans. Jesus Christ had no staff that he could pass on the ministry to whenever he stood before Pilate. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. His last will and testament as far as earthly possessions was given on the cross when John the apostle stood at the cross, at the foot of the cross, and he said to John of his mother, he said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother, to that effect. And he gave the responsibility of his aging mother to one of his disciples who had returned to the foot of the cross from having forsaken him. (coughs) John the Baptist, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, the greatest of the Old Testament, died alone, beheaded in prison. A few disciples, that's all. If you're going to measure the effectiveness of your ministry by nickels and noses, you will build a synagogue of Satan. You will build a false church. And if your doctrine is still right when you die, your doctrine shortly after you die will have so departed from the truth that your church will be a cult. And at the end of the life of the people that you supposedly won to Christ, there will be another gospel and another name on the church building and they'll be preaching another Jesus, and there will be nothing left of what you once said that you believed. This is how to measure results, evidence of effective ministry. Firstly, here we see that Timothy came again. We remember this man, Timothy, from a previous message. This man, Timothy was a young man. This man, Timothy, had from a child known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. This man, Timothy, had a godly grandmother, Lois, and a godly mother, Eunice. And this man, Timothy, had known the Scriptures and been trained in the Scriptures and had joined Paul's evangelistic band. This man, Timothy, had traveled with Paul, been ordained by Paul and by the church to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the inferences such as, let no man despise thy youth given at a later time. This man, Timothy, was a very, very young man. This man was a preacher boy. This preacher boy was sent um, some 300 miles north through Macedonia to Thessalonica, and this man, Timothy, crossed a enemy territory full of people that wanted Paul dead, full, full of people that wanted the gospel that Timothy preached squelched, and he successfully made his way to Thessalonica by God's grace. When he got there, the question that had been aching and burning in their hearts and that had so burdened Paul that he said when we could no longer forbear... We thought it good to be left at Athens alone for this cause when I could no longer forbear. I sent to know your faith. And this Timothy walked through the streets of Thessalonica where after only three weeks of preaching, the apostle Paul had been kicked out and he walked through the streets wondering, is there still a church? Now, the in the instance that I mentioned earlier, the man that led that evangelistic crusade didn't seem to appear to have any concern whatsoever about the state of those people that he had supposedly led to Christ and whether or not they were truly believers. He was able to go back with a clear conscience and a clear mind and never give it another thought to all intents and purposes. But this Paul, on the other hand, whenever he left Thessalonica after only a short-term mission trip, it wasn't designed to be that, but that's what God allowed it to turn into. Paul went with a heavy heart. Paul went with a sorrowing heart. And Paul endeavored to get back to them, but Satan hindered him time and again. One of the first evidences that we can see here of an effective ministry is that the minister has an abiding love for the people that God sends him to minister to and he feels a deep responsibility. A hireling careth not for the flock. Do you hear me today? A hireling careth not for the flock. He's got a job. He's got a salary. He's got dollars to make and he doesn't give a rip if somebody dies and goes to hell just so long as they make some simple stupid profession of faith that's not based and stupid is an intentional word used there 
stupid being without understanding, without knowledge, without wisdom, makes some kind of empty profession of faith and moves on to live a life of sin, a life of separation from the Savior, a life of sorrow when they should have comfort comfort in the Holy Ghost and joy in the Holy Ghost, and they die and go to an eternity in hell. A hireling careth not for the flock. Paul cared for the flock. Silvanus cared for the flock. Timothy cared for the flock. And Timothy went back to Thessalonica, and he crossed all of Macedonia, and he got there and he found what they were looking for. He found a little group of believers, and he was able to deliver the charge that Paul had sent him to deliver. He was able to preach the message that he had been sent to preach to establish them in their faith and to comfort them in their afflictions. And then Timothy came again. The fact that Timothy came again shows that Timothy accomplished his mission. Timothy did his job and he did it faithfully. Timothy found the people. Timothy found the church. Timothy found the work. Timothy found what had happened after he left. And what Timothy found there, he came back and reported. Now what he found there was that this fledgling church was flying. This little baby church with three weeks of preaching and a whole lot of persecution had taken off. Now we've got a whole nother group out here that thinks that you've got to pamper and swaddle and diaper and clothe all of your converts and that you've got to drag them by their ear to church and you've got to force them to dress right and force them to look right and force them to memorize certain Bible verses and doctrines, and that's not effective ministry either. Both of these are error. But here was a fledgling church that was flying. Here was a little church that had taken off, and and the, the labor that Paul had felt might be in vain that we talked about yesterday was labor well spent. And they found the evidence of an effective ministry in the report and the good tidings that were brought back to them by Timothy. Here it says in the Bible, he brought back to us good tidings of your faith and charity. So we have three parts here. First of all, you have the good tidings and then the faith and then the charity. So the good tidings that Timothy brought back were that he found the church, he found them worshiping God, he found them loving one another, he found them carrying on in the faith, he found them studying the Bible, he found them assembling together, he found them giving to the need to the poor, he found them living a life of faith and a life of charity. Faith here, the second part, is belief in God's word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This faith is this belief in the word of God as it is the word of God and not the word of men. 2 Timothy 3, which we looked at whenever we talked about this man Timothy, tells us here that from a child verse 15, Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that there are some that heard the word of God, but the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Faith is believing God, taking God at his word. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the evidence, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by God. Did you see there in Hebrews 11 that it says, By faith the elders obtained a good report. Here is good tidings coming from Thessalonica by the hand of Timothy. And we could say that through faith the church at Thessalonica obtained a good report. It was not through works that they obtained their good report. Timothy did not go and find them living a cold, dead, letter-killing religion going through the motions of faith. He went back and found them living in faith. Let's look at it here in Hebrews 11. 
Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch had a good report because through faith, he had this testimony, this good report that he pleased God. The Bible says here in verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here are two parts to faith. The first part of faith is acknowledging the existence of God in general. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. That is the first part of faith. But the second part of faith is that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that is the works part of faith. The part of faith that recognizes that God not only exists, but that God God is not some kind of deistic being that lives up there in heaven and watches earth like it's some kind of TV show and just wonders how it's going to come out. But that God has given us commandments and God has given us direction and God will reward those who follow his direction and commandments and God will judge those who do not. Faith believes that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith believes God and it believes believes what God said and it believes what God said he would do and faith does what God said to do because it believes God will do what God said he would do when God said what he said that faith believes God said because faith believes God is do you follow that today Faith believes God is and that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here's another example of faith right here in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah believed God. A lot of people believed God back in the what they call the pre-flood world the world before the great flood came a lot of people believed God a lot of people knew about God the by and large most people acknowledged God but Noah was the one who not only believed that God is but believed that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him and therefore motivated by faith and activated by faith Noah sought God Noah found God Noah found justification with God Noah found commandments from God. Noah found direction from God. Noah obeyed the direction from God and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? Abraham, whenever he heard of a place from God, he not only believed God, but when God spoke to him, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned. By faith, he did what? sojourned by faith he did do you get that today by faith he did faith does faith works by faith he did by faith he sojourned by faith he obeyed by faith it says he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age what did Sarah do when she had faith? She conceived seed. She received strength to conceive seed by faith. She would not have gotten the strength without the faith. Do you hear me? But she had the faith and the faith wrought with her works and brought life in the form of Isaac and the fulfillment of God's promise. 
She was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you hear this today? It said these all died in faith, not having received the promises. They believed God is, and they believed God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And it says they were persuaded of them and embraced them. Persuaded happens inside. Embraced happens outside. Persuaded is me accepting what God said. Embracing is me laying hold on and acting on and living on that which God said. They were persuaded by faith and they embraced by faith and they confessed by faith. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus thou shalt be saved. That is true. But it's tied to and coupled with a believing in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead. So here they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14. For they that say such things seest thou how faith wrought with their works. They were persuaded, they embraced, and they confessed, and they said such things. And it says they declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is unheavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac do you hear that today what did he do with a capital D what did he do with a capital D and a capital O what did Abraham do when he had faith in God offered up Isaac that is an action that is obedience that is following by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him as a figure. Abraham believed God, and Abraham therefore, because he believed God, he obeyed God. And here in Hebrews 11, it gives us his obedience in parallel with his belief in his heart and it calls it faith faith in the Bible has action it has feet it has reality it has life or it is not faith by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come by faith Jacob when he was a dying what did Isaac do he blessed there's a verb in there. There's a verb in there. There's a verb with faith. When people have faith, the noun, they have verbs that follow the noun. Or it's not a complete sentence. By faith, Abraham. That's a fragment. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac. Now you have a complete sentence, and so it is with faith. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped. Blessing and worshiping are the works that follow Jacob's faith, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of Israel. He prophesied, he spoke in faith when he died and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was his three months his mommy and daddy said we believe God and we believe he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him we are not going to obey this wicked commandment and they hid Moses they obeyed God they acted they worked they did they lived because of their faith because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the sons of, son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather 
to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seen him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, which is law, by the way, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. Faith saw God open the Red Sea. Faith walked on feet through the Red Sea. Faith without works is dead. And those Israelites, if they had said, we believe God is, but we don't believe he will do. We believe God is, but we don't believe if we have to, then Egypt would have captured them. Egypt would have slaughtered them next to the Red Sea. But they in faith believed that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And they went through the Red Sea. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. Why? Because they had the works and not the faith. Do you hear me today? They tried to do the works they tried to go through the red sea crossing was likened to baptism by god in the book of first corinthians in the book of the corinthians it says that they were all baptized unto moses in the in the sea and in the cloud with the cloud above them going through the red sea and here egypt and the world tried to go and do the works of faith without the faith and they were drowned in trying to cross and that's what you will do if you try to do the works of Christ and the works of Christianity and the works of the gospel without a faith in God that he is there's two parts to faith I hope you see that today by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace when she had received the spies her faith wrought with her works we'll see her again in James and what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Look at the verbs. Look at these action words laced through this whole thing. <coughs> Through faith, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted were tempted were slain with the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented you say what's the big action there what's the big faith in wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins they refused to deny Christ they stood they held fast their profession in the face of persecution of whom the world was not worthy they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth <coughs> and these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses he says the Thessalonican church had joined the cloud of witnesses evidence of effective ministry faith and those that are ministered to James chapter 2 and verse 14. 
What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, though a man say, dear Jesus, please forgive me, I'm a sinner, please wash my sins away, though a man say the words with his lips, though the man stand up and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord, please baptize me, dunk me in the water, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? That is the question today. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, he continues in verse 15 and now 16, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Listen to these words today. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, if dead is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, but faith that saves works. Faith that saves works. He says here, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. What good does their profession do them? The devils can tell you all day long that they believe in God. Do you remember those devils that the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out in the book of Acts? They said, Jesus, we know. And Paul we know, but who are you? The devils believe in God. Do you remember the devils that came and fell at the feet of Jesus? And they said, we know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Art thou come to torment us before our time? And Jesus would cast them out. And those in the Gadarene demoniac, he cast into the herd of swine. What good did their confession with their mouth do when those devils said, we know thee? who thou art the holy one of god what good will it do you O man whose faith is dead and without works when you say i know you jesus christ and he says depart from me ye workers of iniquity i never knew you Jesus Christ himself being the one that preached that saying, many there will be in that day who say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done many mighty works in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. We've prophesied in your name. We're preachers. We're prophets. We've prophesied in your name. And he will say to them, in that day, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity, your works tell me your faith is dead. Your lack of godly works your lack of following of jesus christ is ample evidence that your faith is dead thou believest that there is one god thou doest well the devils also believe and tremble but wilt thou know O vain man that faith without works is dead was not abraham our father justified by works when he had offered isaac his son upon the altar take that verse up with god if it makes your blood boil was not abraham our father justified by works justified by works the bible says The Bible says it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by faith. By faith, by works, was faith made perfect. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only did you hear what your Bible just said did you hear what your Bible just said 
Did you look in your Bible? Look at James chapter 2 and verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. This scripture is every bit as much true as the scripture that says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This scripture is every bit as much scripture as the scripture that says, for by grace are ye saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are ye saved, and that not of yourselves. Or he says, and not of works, lest any man should boast but here it says ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also it's a corpse the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins and you go around and try and get people to say some kind of prayer repeat some kind of confession of faith go through um, confirmation whatever it is that you have whatever it is whether you're a baptist catholic that teaches people to say prayers to your baptist saints where you say your little um, sinner's prayer and tell them that they're saved and that there's nothing else required of them by god or whether you're a roman catholic that says that they must crawl on their knees whether you're the baptist catholic that tells them they must come to church every week and wear certain clothes and soul win and do all these good works that you prescribe for them to do but they have no works of righteousness and no truth and no power and no love of God in their hearts faith without works is dead no matter what your stamp is no matter what your color is no matter what the sign says on the outside of your church faith without works is dead here James splits this hair because other people had already split it faith in the Bible is always accompanied by works always accompanied by works there's nowhere in the bible that faith is given apart from works apart from the sanctifying power of the holy spirit of god it's always accompanied by works but faith is the belief in god the motive the motivation beneath the works that springs from within the heart that believes that god is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him and faith works because it believes God and dead works that people try to do to make God be pleased with them are not done in faith but faith that is true faith works Timothy found a church that had faith how could he tell that they had faith because they all professed it no because they all lived it the next part here is charity. As faith without works is dead, so love without works is dead also, and not love at all. How would you like to have a car without a motor? If you went to the dealership and you bought a car and you said, Sir, I would buy a car of thee. And he says, certainly I have this wonderful model over here. Look how shiny it is. It's a beautiful red color. It has leather seats. You feel that air conditioning? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this a beautiful car? And you say, yes, sir, I'll buy that car. And you buy that car. And, he, and then you try and drive it off the lot and it won't go. And you raise the hood and you look under and there's no motor. And he says, oh, the motor's an extra $1,000. You said, sir, I bought a car. I don't buy a car that, I, that doesn't have a motor. I fully expected this thing to have a motor. That goes with it. A car without a motor is dead. And the man says, sir, you plainly told me you wanted a car and you never said you wanted a motor. I agree. That's a good noise to make. 
And so does God agree. When we say, God, we have faith, but we have no works. God, we believe in Jesus, but there's no engine. There's no power. There's no resurrected life. There's no quickened new creature in Christ Jesus. All old things are passed away. All things are made new. And we say, God, we have faith, but there's no motor underneath the hood. There's no engine underneath the hood. There's no power in the car to move the car. And God says, faith without works is dead. Do I have to explain this to you? Could be the inference. Do I have to say this? Isn't this obvious? Seest thou not how faith wrought with his works? Do you see how James uses these terms? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? Do I have to say this? Is it a car if it doesn't have an engine? Well, yes, it's a car. But we shouldn't have to say that. It goes without saying. It's part of the package. (coughs) And a car without a motor is a dead car. And if you advertise a car for sale and it has no motor and you sell it that way, you will be called a cheat. And so will you, sir, when you stand before God and say, I have faith and have not works. Charity, charity here. As faith without works is dead, so love without works is dead. Love in action is charity. Go to John chapter 15 quickly. John chapter 15. (coughs) Verse 10. And Jesus Christ speaking here says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. John 13, 34, Jesus had introduced this commandment all the way back here in John 13. Verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You say, I love you, and that's sweet. But if you don't put boots on your love, it doesn't have any reality to it. This is why the world even talks about how you find out who your friends are when bad things happen. The world even writes music about such a thing. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said, Paul spoke of the gospel that the love of God constraineth him. That he did what he did because the love of God constraineth him. It forced him to action. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We don't have time to study this out in detail here today. He's saying, if I spoke with tongues of men and of angels, but have not charity, we've got a whole group of churches that live for tongues. They breathe tongues. They hope for tongues of angels. They want angelic, otherworldly tongues. They want to speak other tongues. That's all they want. It's all they desire. Everything else is secondary. If you haven't spoken with tongues in their 
your congregation, you are considered lost and separated from God, an an alien from the commonwealth of tongue speaking. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. We have still more churches that want nothing but prophecy. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, we've got churches who want faith to pick up serpents. We want faith um, to claim it and name it and claim it. We've got those that want to understand biblical prophecy amongst Bible-believing, evangelical, rightly divided churches we have those that want to understand biblical prophecy in its biblical sense not just this Nostradamus bunch of um, smoke and mirrors crystal ball chicanery that goes by for prophecy that most people call prophecy in our day but biblical prophecy he says and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries I can have all my eschatology right and understand all of end times prophecy and know how it's all going to work and have not chair I am nothing I could have all faith so that I could remove mountains I can pray in all the money that I need for my ministry I can go in faith and never ask for support but if I have not charity I am nothing and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor we have churches whose entire existence is based on altruistic philanthropism boy that's a verbicide philanthropy philanthropy altruism and philanthropy fancy words for do-gooders and all of their good deeds that they do the sole purpose for their church's existence feed the poor heal the sick raise the brokenhearted, clothe the naked. And they say, we do this in Jesus' name, a cup of water in Jesus' name. But if you have not charity, the love of God constraining you, the love of Jesus Christ flowing through your veins and through your heart, he says, it profiteth me nothing. Though I give my body to be burned, you can be an ascetic, you can suffer You can deny yourself. You can be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And if your faith, so-called, lacks charity, lacks the practical love of Jesus Christ, it profiteth you nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth Rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, charity is the the deepest expression of the works of faith. Charity is the Christ-like outworking of faith. Charity takes works that would otherwise be dead, and it through the power of faith and the faith in God's word and the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God. Charity is Christ Himself doing the works through me out of love for this lost and dying world charity the expression of Christ's death on the cross to lost and dying man any works that do not include with them a desire and a yearning for men to know Jesus Christ and escape the wrath to come any good works that are done without warning men to flee from the wrath to come are done without charity you say that you do good works and feed the poor and you do but you do not warn them of the wrath to come you do not show them the way of salvation you hate their souls you love their bodies and you hate their souls your works are without charity it profiteth them nothing charity never faileth whether there be prophecies they shall fail whether there be tongues they shall cease whether there be knowledge it shall vanish away this all of these things prophecies tongues and knowledge will end and at the same time it gives you the time frame that the prophecies will fail tongues will cease and knowledge shall vanish away 
He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly. Now with our prophecy, now with our tongues, now with our knowledge, we see through a glass darkly. And the glass in the word of God is the word of God. And we can back that up with scripture. I see the Bible darkly. I, I don't fully comprehend and understand everything in this book. But then face to face, when I see him, I will be like him. The Bible says when we see Christ for who he is, we will be like him. He says then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I be, then shall I know even as also I am known. When I see him, I will be like him. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge shall vanish away. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known and now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Timothy came back with a good report of the church of Thessalonica of their faith and of their charity. Charity, the works of faith done in the love and the power of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. We see another evidence here. We have the faith, we have the charity, these good tidings, and then we have this final statement in this chapter 3 and verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians, and that ye have good remembrance of us always as we also to see you. And here we see mutual affection and desire to fellowship. Mutual affection and desire to fellowship. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Here it says in verse 24. Let's back up to verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. You want to say you're saved. You want to give lip service to Christ. Let us hold fast that lip service, that profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love, that's charity, and to good works, the outworking of faith, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The practical outworking of faith and of charity is a church that fellowships together. A church that assembles together. If you have faith and if you have charity all of the devils of hell cannot drag you away from the church of Jesus Christ. You love her and you want to be with her. You want to walk with her. You want to talk with her. And you love the people of God. He says of these that forsake the assembling of themselves together. In verse 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If you turn away from the blood of Jesus Christ. If you turn away from the practical outworking of your faith. If you turn away from a living faith in Jesus Christ that works and that loves and that assembles together with the believers he says there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins there is no other gospel there is no other way to heaven you can't get there apart from a love of love for God and a faith in God that compels you and constrains you to love the brethren if you don't love the brethren the love of the father is not in you he says hereby know we that we are in him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Hereby know we that we are in him. Go to 1 John and look at what it says there. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Chapter 2 verse 7. But an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which he had heard from the beginning. Again a new commandment I write unto you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his 
his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Look down here at chapter 1 and verse 7. But verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We say, oh, I love God, but I can't stand church. Oh, I love God, but I don't want to go down there with all those hypocrites. Oh, I love God, but I just don't have time to get to the church house. I tell you to do today, you are walking in darkness. You know not at what you stumble. You hate your brother and you are lying. It says here, this, um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Timothy found a good report when Timothy got to Thessalonica. He walked down those streets of that city that had just run him and Paul and Sylvanus off. He was overlooked because he, probably because he was young. They didn't come after him because they despised his youth. They looked the other way. They didn't care about that young man. But whenever he showed up at the house of one of the disciples, word got around, Timothy's here, Timothy's here. And from all around the town came believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they gathered together with one mind and one heart, showing their faith by their works and their fervent charity one for another. And they sat and they listened to that little preacher boy, Timothy, as he preached to them to establish them in the faith and to comfort them concerning their afflictions. And when the report got back to Paul, when the report got back to Paul of what Timothy said happened there at Thessalonica, he said there, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if, we, if ye stand fast in the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help us to rightly judge our ministries. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the ability to see ourselves the way you see ourselves. Judge our hearts, Lord, if we're saved, if we're lost, if we're carnal, if we're filled with the Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh, if our ministry is true or if it's in vain, Father, please judge us, judge our ministries, judge our works, and help us, Lord lest our labor be in vain. We love you today, Lord. We want you to get all the glory and the honor and the praise. For Christ's sake, amen.